your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by James Boyman and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to ATP. We've got a classic episode for you today, James and Alex, the original duo. Back at it again, following Everton's 3-0 loss to Manchester City. Everton have now lost each of their last eight Premier League games against Man City, only against Manchester United. Between December 99 and February 2004, have they lost more consecutive games against an opponent in the competition? And with that, Everton have won two of the last possible 18 points in the league. Pretty grim, Alex, but I'll throw it to you for your instant match reaction. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we had a we had a semblance of how the match would go. And I think it's probably safe to say it played out that way, but um, it still doesn't make it any less disappointing or any less torturous to watch in general. Um, we'll dive into kind of how the match played out. Um, but overall, I'd say it's a very poor performance, all things considered, regardless of who we were playing. Um and I would have wished that we we saw more from the team in general. What about you, James? Yeah, I mean, going in, this is the one fixture pretty much every year that I just go in with literally no hope whatsoever. And mm-hmm. so my expectations are on the floor, and yet somehow Everton still managed to go into the basement underneath those expectations. That's how poor it was. Um, City are an unbelievable team. We are not, especially without some of our key performers. So it, in theory, it kind of played out how I think almost everyone expected. And with that, we did have three correct score predictions from our Discord. Cryptus, ever the optimist. He's the resident uh, cheery member of the Discord. Zach Landy, better late than never. Uh, also, all predicted the 3-0 loss and uh, better late than never. Fitting came in with the prediction in around the fourth minute of the match. So uh, got it in just in the nick of time. We'll give him credit as no goals had been scored. But I hope Alex, you three are happy. I, I hope you're happy with how this turned out. Yeah, I mean, I predicted 3-1 <laughs> saying to Alex off air. I can't believe I was naive enough to think we would score one. But with with that said, Alex, let's get into uh, the lineups for both sides, and we'll start with Everton. Yeah, so Everton was unchanged this week uh, when compared to the match against Spurs before the international break. Um, I think the important thing to note at the start and something that we kind of harped on a lot in the past was we still saw Townsend lined up at the second striker role. Um, again, at least in the beginning prior to personnel changes, et cetera. Sydney, on the other hand, with seemingly possibly a big gamble by giving a first premier league start to Cole Palmer at the false nine role um, with Sterling and Foden on either side of him, um, which caused numerous problems still in terms of a tactical setup. I mean, Everton simply just sat deep and hoped to break with width, sat in a 4-4-2 on defense, which we've seen numerous times all year long. Um, you know, I'm not sure that you could discount the tactical setup based on the personnel we had, based on um, the fact that we were away at City. But nonetheless, um, I would say it's a, it was a pretty expected outcome for what we saw leading up to the match. What about you, James? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know how much it matters being away at City because the Etihad is like a freaking morgue. It's a joke. <laughs> Fair enough. Like, it's like a funeral. It's not a football match. It doesn't feel celebratory. But, I mean, worth noting, Kevin De Bruyne 
missed the match, having tested positive for COVID, I believe. Uh, and against many teams, a player of his caliber missing would uh, spell the opportunity to maybe uh, take advantage. City just reload. They play this kid, Cole Palmer, first Premier League start, and didn't really skip a beat whatsoever. They still have Foden. They still have Gundogan, incredible Rodri. They still have so many weapons and uh, the ability to break you down. And they just never really seem to even have to get out of second gear, especially not today. Um, Tactical setup for Everton. I mean, we kind of saw this is this is the type of game where theoretically Rafa, the tactics of sitting deep and, and breaking quickly on the counterattack would uh, come into play more effectively against teams that want to dominate the ball. You'd think you'd be able to catch them out. Unfortunately, we just really didn't have any opportunities to break with pace. And we'll talk about it in the timeline besides maybe like the very first minute and once the game had already gotten out of hand. Um, but to talk a little bit about, you know, the average shape, I mean, you mentioned, Alex, interesting decision by Rafa to continue to utilize Andrews Townsend in that second striker role, kind of in a very confusing way. I think the rationale there is just that you you put Gordon and, and Gray out wide to start to give you that pace because Townsend, hard worker, but you wouldn't accuse him of being Usain Bolt. You're not going to mix him up. Um, so... I see the rationale there, but it just doesn't feel like you're really leveraging Townsend's strengths because he just tends to look pretty uncomfortable in the middle. And I don't think he played all that poorly today, but limited options and that sort of thing. So I have a little bit of empathy for Benitez, but to play a guy like that in that position, just it says that he doesn't really understand the personnel he has. Why would you not potentially start a will be in that position or, or someone else who's more accustomed to playing in the middle of the park. It just is really confusing to me. No, I absolutely agree. <clears throat> We've talked about that plenty. And I feel that, you know, you look at, you look at the amount of crosses like Townsend swinging in, you'd think that on the counter attack specifically, you would want him in a position to utilize his crossing ability. You know, like what we talked about uh, Lucas Dean, for example, being able to hit those one touch crosses early on to great effect, especially last season. And honestly, mentioning Lucas Dean, the other, you know, pretty much the only other big uh, interesting piece about the average starting position is the fact that Lucas Dean's average starter, or I mean, average position in general is far further back than Seamus Coleman's this week. Um, that's pretty interesting because generally speaking uh, it's inverted. <clears throat> and when you go down and look at, you know, the, the side, the, I think it just comes down to the fact that Everton ended up attacking far more on the right-hand side than they did their left whereas City was pretty even on both sides. So with the attack on the right side primarily, if, if we can call it an attack. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. If we can call it an attack, um, it seems like Seamus Coleman was a bit more involved, whether that was uh, whether that was due to shape or personnel or otherwise. Well, one thing that I saw very early on uh, was City overloading the wide areas, particularly on the left side, as a, I think as a foil to trying to pin Luca Dean uh, back and prevent him from getting involved, getting forward, but we didn't really have any outlets. So you're right, Alex, I mean, 44% down the right and only 30% down the left. You saw Dean having to do an awful lot of work uh, tracking back, marking Bernardo Silva and uh, Raheem Sterling, who are creating a lot of problems in the wide areas, mismatches, overloads, all that sort of thing. And I, I just think it kind of made him one-dimensional today. And frankly, the whole team was, you know, 20% of the ball through most of the match. Um, it, it's 
demoralizing. It's discouraging. And then you look at the shots. I mean, the, the, the volume of shots was obviously very one directional. But the shots Everton did get 25% of our shots inside the six, 50% inside the 18, whereas City had 65% of theirs inside the 18, 30% outside the box. They obviously uh, took advantage of some of those shots outside the box, specifically <laughs> Rodri with the Thunderbolt, which we'll get to. Um, but it was one-way traffic. And I think the one that we don't usually talk about in terms of the charts that we get from who scored, this one stuck out to me in terms of just the distribution of the possession on the pitch. 37% of the time, the ball was in our defensive third. 46%, it was in the middle third. And just 17%, we were in City's third. So just illustrates how comprehensive and dominant they really were where they were toying with it in our final third and and seemingly playing as they do very patiently waiting to break us down moving it from side to side in the final third which is so dangerous and forces your your defensive shape to constantly shift and then they were able to pretty uh, adeptly exploit the the gaps that emerged yeah i have to agree and i think i think specifically the 37 percent of the ball in our defensive third is extremely telling it's like it's very telling though because even when an opponent has the majority of possession and we've seen ourselves play good defensive matches in general at early points in the season right when we had all of our starting personnel and and starting midfielders and that sort of thing um but to allow them to possess the ball that much in our defensive third was never going to see us be successful in, in any sort of, in, in any, any sort of way. And I think it highlights, you know, our lack of ability to get the ball out and, you know, make aggressive decisions, but um, let's hype and in, hop into the timeline. So, you know, in, <laughs> if we must, if we must, <laughs> don't worry, it'll be a pretty short timeline this time around, but essentially uh, in the first minute, I mean, Everton had a pretty quick break. Gray is, breaking down the left-hand side, um, but hesitates, loses momentum. And from that moment on, you know, City started to take control a little bit. Yeah, it was almost immediate. It was yeah. <laughs> first minute. It's like, oh, okay, this might be okay. It, it was concerning because we saw that lack of clinical decision-making. That would, right. it is so, so critical if you want to play on the break. And it was like the first immediate moment of the game where we had a chance to kind of cut them open. Maybe, you know, you score that first goal and then you can sit compact and I mean, right. wait for the response and at least have the the upper hand for the for at least on a temporary basis. But Gray hesitates, allows the defender to catch up to him and then turns it over and then City are coming full throttle. And that's obviously the downside of when you push guys up and attack and you have a side like city, they will just slice and dice you the opposite direction, but they were, they settled in, they were pretty composed. And and then in the 17th minute, we of course had more bad news on the Everton front. Damari gray goes down um, with a muscle injury. It was seemed pretty serious. He was limping and then he just went down and put his hand up and said, you know, looked very frustrated. It looked like it might've been a calf. I saw someone say, I don't know if if they were able to identify it in the post-match interview, but uh, never good to have a muscle injury, and especially for a player who's been as pivotal for us this season as Mari Gray. Yeah, I mean he's been he's been literally necessary in everything that we want to do. I mean we're talking about the entire game plan, which I mean this te- this has tended to be our game plan pretty much every match this season. But I mean if we're if our game plan is to absorb pressure and and hit them on the break, and then we lose to Mari Gray, 
we essentially, based on the, the players available to us, I mean, we really don't have a counterattacking threat at that point, right? Damari Gregg goes down. We talk about that hashtag verticality all the time that he offers. Um, being able to isolate the defenders one-on-one, which is something that's definitely missing this season um, from, from other players in general. We've been missing that quite a bit in recent years, um, needless to say. But then, you know, City continue to dominate possession and we move into the 31st minute. Richarlison gets upset that there was no call, I think, on a potential foul right beforehand. So I can't remember which play, player he goes into slide tackle. And he gets a needless yellow, which subsequently ends up being the fifth of the season. And Richarlison, along with presumably Gray, will miss the Brentford match as well. Yeah, it's, it's a horrible kind of foolish foul by Richarlison. I mean, he's alone up top pressuring the ball. And I can't remember who he slide tackles either, but goes in. And it's just totally unnecessary. I think he was reacting to the uh, uh, perceived foul on Townsend a couple moments earlier. And uh, look, we we are thin enough as it is. We don't need to be missing the Brazilian. But even that early in the match, in the 31st minute, you could tell, and the commentators pointed it out, Richarlison's body language was very, very negative. He looked incredibly frustrated. He'd be, and we'll get into his stats. I mean, and he was feeding off scraps. So I can't blame a player like Richarlison who has been so pivotal for us and so influential. He can't even get a sniff of the ball unless he's losing aerial challenges from long balls from Pickford to city center halves. And it's just a thankless task. And it's one that Calvert Lewin can do a little better and frankly has done the, the difficult thankless work for us for years now, but Richarlison's not, not very accustomed to that. And when you're just back against the wall constantly and the only chances you have are balls that you have no realistic chance of winning, it gets old real quick, needless to say. Absolutely. And you know, I mean, he did the same thing against Spurs last match out. You know what I mean? It's, it's a thankless job. And, you know, I think the interesting part about it in the current situation with Richarlison is the fact that, you know, he has always said publicly he prefers to play the striker role. But <clears throat> Everton, and he's done it numerous times for Everton under a couple of managers, but I think the overlying point is he's never been nearly as effective as a striker um, when compared to coming off the left. Obviously, you know, we have not had that luxury recently um, with the injuries. But either way, we move on from the tra- Richarlison Richarlison's yellow card, and naturally, just before the half, Joao Cancelo cuts in, hits a beautiful ball over the top with the outside of his foot, and <clears throat> Raheem Sterling in behind. I think Keane tried to track the runner, but naturally it's uh, Keane versus Raheem Sterling in a foot race. Not much to be said there. And Raheem Sterling finishes it off on the half volley into the top corner. Pickford, no chance. Keane, no chance. And we are down 1-0 right before the half. Yeah, it's a really good goal, as were, you know, both cities first two. Um, it, it's so frustrating to concede right before half, especially after we had just had the penalty overturned by VAR just a few minutes before that, which was a ridiculous flop by Sterling, I mm-hmm. might add, and rightfully overturned. That said, when that was overturned, it just felt like prolonging the inevitable a little bit. Like, okay, we'll put them off for a couple <laughs> more minutes. And it's so irritating to then concede just before half. You think you might be able to get in for the break. 
level and then who knows what can happen. You can snatch one in the second half, but no, all those hopes were swiftly crushed by a truly outstanding ball from a really, really tough angle from Cancelo over the top curling drops to Raheem. He doesn't have to do a whole lot and Sterling just slots a pass Pickford. And again, nothing Pickford can do ever turn her down one nil at the half. And at that point, nine, three in shots in favor of city 78, 22 in possession. Grim. 94% pass percentage to 69% and 12 to 2 in aerials one in favor of the citizens. So doesn't paint a very pretty picture, I would say, Alex. No, and I think I think one of our biggest issues, and I mean it, this is not rocket science to figure out, right? But you see, you see a front line of of Richarlison, Damari Gray, and Anthony Gordon. And you say, okay, Everton have essentially zero chance of being effective with long balls unless they're in behind. And what we saw was essentially City pressing Everton, Everton's defense every time we had the ball. Um, Pickford had the ball at his, at his feet um, countless times. We saw City matching every single one of our defenders and midfielders while trying to play out of the back, um, which leads to quite a bit of long balls. For Charleston, as you mentioned, he had barely any success with aerials one. So there's no out ball. And we lost Mari gray through injury in the 15th minute, who was then replaced by Alex Wobi. Um, I think that it's pretty clear. I mean, you know, there's no way to play to our strengths when you're pressing so high, we're, we're playing substitutes in, in even midfield and offensive positions. And Richarlison is just left to try to win aerials in the, in the, or win aerials in the offensive third. It's, it's not going to spell, a positive result for us. Yeah, it, it doesn't help at all when, as we pointed out earlier, most of the time you're in your final third. So even when you win the ball back, City have basically already have their defense preset to pressure really high and they're cutting off the passing lanes. There's really no outlet. Alon and Fabian Delph, not very fast and not really able to provide much of a link up play out from the back. So it ended up just going back to Pickford to boot along. And it just didn't really work. We saw pretty much a lot of the same similar issues coming out to start the second half. Yeah. I mean, and you know, in the second half, Everton started pretty quickly. We had the ball on the break. We recycled it quite a bit around the edge of the 18. Um, In the end, you know, once again, it came to nothing, but that was a pretty decently positive start from the blues to come out at halftime. um, Especially since we essentially saw, no positive outlet in the first half, um, especially in, in City's uh, defensive third. But again, right after that first foray into City's defensive third, right when the first half starts, City once again take control. And it leads to in the 55th minute, essentially, Allen had a re- weak clearance straight out of the eight, I mean, straight out of the 18 yard box. And it lands to Rodri, who just steps up and thunderbolts it into the top corner. Um, you know, Delph, I will say it, it looked like on the replay, Delph did a pretty good job of, of getting in front of him. Um, I think the angle was super tight for him to hit it without being blocked or, or nicked in general. But nonetheless, it's now, you know, the 55th minute, it's 2-0 to City. And you're kind of feeling like, how are Everton going get, to get through it now? Yeah, it it was really bad. And I just think city's pressure and relentless kind of prodding and poking and trying to break you down become so 
exhausting. And I think that's what kind of leads to the Alon Wheat clearance, where it's just like anything to relieve the pressure. Just let me poke it out 10 yards. I'll take what I can get at this point because it's just so stifling. But it falls to Rodri, and again, it's a fan, it's a phenomenal hit. Like nothing Jordan Pickford can do, not a prayer in the world of saving that, not a keeper in the world's getting a finger on it. And so it's two 0 rightly so, fully deserved by City. That you can, you can't really make any qualms about that. But you do just you're a little frustrated with the lack of concentration and the inability to release any kind of pressure. Is just constantly like, when are we going to concede next? When are we going to concede next? And just didn't make for a very entertaining watch. Needless to say. But just a few minutes later, I mean, the game's gone at this point, right? I mean, I don't think anyone was holding out the slightest hope that Everton would come back. But I think we we managed to create a couple threatening opportunities. I mean, Alex Iwobi had that one break down the wing where he was essentially in. And then, again, similar to Damari in the first minute, slows up, lets the defense catch up, missteps, and the, the chance is gone. But... Delph makes way for Solomon Rondon, at which point everyone's like, yeah, here we go. Comeback's going to begin. <laughs> Solomon Rondon, our savior, wasn't the case. No, it wasn't the case. I mean, you know, I'd say that in general, we might have been able to, we might have been able to carry the ball a little bit further into the opponent's defensive third in the second half in general, specifically when Rondon came on. However, it wasn't notable Rondon didn't do anything of note. Um, the substitution itself, I mean, I, I, I would not say that it, it made um, any huge difference because City, you know, at that point in time, I mean, I watched Bernardo Silva just receive the ball, you know, probably 30 yards out and he sat there for like three or four seconds. And so did Everton. Literally nobody within five yards of him even like stepped towards him. They just let him have the ball 30 yards out from goal you know, it is at that point in time, pretty clear that Everton mentally had given up and, you know, the commentators were saying it and I, I hate to repeat it, but, you know, city were essentially having a training exercise at that point. Yeah, unfortunately. So, and so with that, I mean, we'll, we'll, city were also flopping left and right. I know it doesn't really matter, but it was so frustrating just going down with the slightest contact, looking for every potential penalty or foul around the box which as they're entitled to do but it just it rubbed me the wrong way when we're getting absolutely obliterated to have that sort of gamesmanship on top of it anyway let's let's cruise through the rest of the timeline here because i don't think there's too much to make note of and we have some good listener comments i want to get to there was obviously the third city goal nail final nail in the coffin bernardo silva this was the worst of their three goals. It was just a kind of a lu- unlucky deflection on Everton's part that falls right to Silva, who taps it in. And uh, you get all the reactions and, and City crews after that point. Very little threat from Everton whatsoever. It takes us to full time, and the full time stats are quite similar to those at halftime. Just more in favor of City, if anything. 77 to 23 possession, 17 to 4 in shots, 7 to 1 on target. <laughs> 93 to 69 pass percentage, 16 to 5 in aerials, 16 to 19 in tackles. So we out-tackled City with 20% of the ball. We barely out-tackled them and 7 to 1 in corners. So it's just, it's really grim. And then you look at the XG, supports it even further. XG philosophy had us, uh, not the best model, but had us at, us at 0.28 to City's 2.33 
and then Understat had City at 2.61 and Everton at 0.27. So similarly distant XG numbers as reflected by the eye test. So let's get into some of our uh, some of our comments here, Alex. So so only one other point to make yeah. about the timeline and match itself was the fact that we did see a three minute cameo appearance for Tyler Onyango after coming back from injury with the U twenty three setup. It's always good to see youth given a chance, but I just want to make note of that he didn't get any touches, right? So he literally wasn't involved. But overarching point is he had Bamin on the bench, and he chose to give Onyango. Um, a couple of minutes instead. I think that's telling in some way or, or, or form. Um, but nonetheless, let's get into listener comments. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you called that out. Uh, Onyango, he's a slender fellow, but he's got the size, he's got the height, um, and, and obviously didn't make much of an impact, but good to see him get, being given a late, late cameo. Let's start with Mark Christopher. We're going to keep things real optimistic with the listener comments today. Because <laughs> you'll sense a, a theme. Mark says, back to playing the completely uninspired football of the Allardyce era. I don't know if it's quite that bad at the moment, Alex, but what are your thoughts? As bad as Big Sam, <laughs> even though we don't say his name on the show? I just did. Uh, uh, I'd say I would say today's performance is very close. I wouldn't say that it's it's as bad. And honestly, it might not be as bad simply because we have slightly different personnel now. Um, but, you know, to your point about how uninspired it was, we've talked about the possession um, or the lack of possession in the game itself. We know Everton haven't had the majority of possession in pretty much any of their games this season. But to highlight that today, Pickford had the most passes in the team with 35 passes. To put that in perspective, Michael Keane had the second amount with 25. So he was head and shoulders the most with the ball and how we talk about, you know, long balls and, and the ball out and how we're going to play out at the back. That pretty much, in my opinion, tells the story of how it went. It does. And not only did he have the most passes, he had the most touches with 44 and of those 35 passes, nine accurate. So just <laughs> hoofing and hoping for the best, not good. And it is reflective of the, he who shall not be named era where that was kind of the main strategy, just hoof and pray. Um, and, and this was reminiscent of that. That said, you do have to give a little bit of credit to Manchester City. They are just an unbelievable side and, and miles, miles better than Everton at the moment. Let's go to Rafa Benitez, our favorite <laughs> eternal optimist <laughs> at Abel Southall. One win in nine, very little to suggest that's going to get better. So far this season, managers have been sacked for less. Time for Rafa to spin his web of chaos to avoid the blame. It's going to snowball out of control in the next week or two. Sadly, the board won't act. And uh, look, we have not been the biggest fans of the Rafa appointment to begin with. It was a questionable decision at the time, one made by our owner, who I don't think has won very much favor with the fan base as of late. But the, the fixture list for December is, is just downright terrifying, knowing the injuries we have and knowing that the struggle of form we're experiencing lately. Yeah, absolutely agree. And, and I mean, you know, that's that's not an outlandish comment. We've seen a bunch of people on our on our discord and on Twitter in general discussing after the match, um, you know, Rafa's 
Rafa's current employment status, as well as even to go as far as to say Brand's current employment status. So, you know, needless to say, the fans are very much um, annoyed and and feeling very uneasy about the current results. I don't know if the current results are necessarily completely Rafa's fault or not. Um, you know, we saw how we started the season with with most of our preferred lineup in place. Uh, I think only time will tell. But you know, the real question is, can he hang on long enough um, for some players to get back? healthy and do we see that form again i'm not sure yeah i think that's a good call out we talked about it on the last episode you, you just can't discount the injuries and i think andy sieha at schmub which is a great handle uh, points this out really well we feel dcl's absence in lots of ways but in my opinion no more than the fact that richie doesn't get the ball at his feet he's not a true number nine he plays better with someone effective at drawing center halves also, he's a good defender at the nine. He isn't allowed the same room to track back. And, you know, we touched on this a little bit, but in terms of Richarlison playing the nine, I mean, today, two for 10 in aerials, 24 touches, which is the fewest of any of the starters. So I think Andy's really spot on there. Just not one to really lead the line in a match like this when you're going to be hoofing it long. No, absolutely not. And and all really good points, especially just the the thought that we should be using players um, to their strengths, kind of like you mentioned with Townsend earlier, being on the inside versus versus being on the right hand side. Um, Richarlison's strengths are not 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 necessarily utilized to the nine, other than his finishing ability. Uh, so I believe that that is absolutely the case. Um, and lastly, we had Peter Rabbit sixty eight, another longtime listener, said the game was as expected. We were way outclassed, but the bigger issue is another injury to an attacking player. And Richie foolishly getting booked. So what do we have against Brentford? Townsend was the best player for us. Hard to call it man of the match, however. And I'd have to say that's pretty spot on. Um, you know, we mentioned both those players missing for the next match, which is going to be um, really depressing to see who slots in. I think I have a pretty good idea. But to Townsend's, but to his point about Townsend being the best player, um, Townsend had some pretty good stats. Yeah, he was four for six in dribbles. He had a tackle, a shot on target, two key passes. I mean, calling it great, maybe a little bit of a stretch. If you compare it to the rest of the Everton side, however, it's a decent return. And he did do a decent job of, you know, receiving the ball in the middle, spraying some some balls wide to um, Gordon at times, as well as a Wobi. Um, and so it's, even though it may not be his best position, I think he did an admirable job given the circumstances. Some other players who perhaps did not, perform up to standard today you had anthony gordon um i know people were really excited to see him starting again seeing the young kid given a chance this felt like maybe a miscalculation by the manager gordon dispossessed five times three bad controls ended up with three tackles but he just looked kind of out of his depth to me alex he didn't really have the ability to distance or break away from anyone with pace never really had the the space and time to do anything interesting with the ball. And he was kind of careless when he did get the chance to make a, a pass to try to cut city open. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with, with the way that city were pressing with the way that they're very organized um, and, and just the, the raw pace that city has in their team front to back is pretty nuts. So I think, I think he, he really saw what the true pace of the game can be in the league um, and got a large dose of it in general. Um, but, you know, to uh, to the point above about Richarlison, you know, missing Richarlison's defensive prowess, three tackles from Gordon on the left hand side, 
um, or well, across both sides is yeah. um, yep. it is honestly that's that's pretty good. I mean, you know, uh, now another player, right? Another player that we talked heavily about um, on the last episode, Ben Godfrey. Today, though, he had four tackles, two interceptions, two clearances, and a block. Um, overall, a better performance today, I'd say. You know, no, no big glaring personal issues or personal mistakes um, from Ben Godfrey, but it's kind of hard to say that he had a good match when, when the team as a whole conceded three and he's part of the center half pairing, right? Exactly. I mean, look, what we saw today was interesting because we were so, so compact. And so there really wasn't a ton of space in the middle. We didn't see that infamous gap that we've talked about a lot uh, be exposed as much because Delphin and and Alon were basically sitting right in front. And I thought that our center halves, we kept a pretty high line at times. So we really did a good job of closing that gap. But I think, you know, compared to the Spurs game prior to the break, you just saw a team with much more ability to break teams down and create chances for themselves. You know, we didn't create anything of note in that match either. We were pretty defensively resolute, and yet we still conceded three. Um, And two of those goals were fantastic goals that you really can't do a whole lot about, and you kind of just have to tip your hat to the opposition. Uh, Wobi, we should bring a mention on. Thrown on in the midst of an aftermath of Gray's injury. Wasn't his finest work, and we've been pretty defensive of a Wobi, but Today was not a good example of what he does best. No, not at all. I mean, really, like the there were no not really any key stats to point to, except for the fact that he had 63 percent pass accuracy, which was the worst of the attacking players by far. I think I think Richarlison maybe had like five percent higher than that, Um, but he also had the fewest touches. You can understand how. You know, Richarlison playing at the nine might have a problem like connecting with other players, but sure. Wobi, on the other hand, um, you can't really excuse that. We saw numerous times where his only move was to receive the ball and then try to try to meg the defender or the man on, and every single time it backfired, which led to a lot of you know lost possession in general. Um, so not not ideal, and I have a feeling we'll be seeing him uh, for the Brentford match due to our injuries now. Oh, yeah, you're probably right there. Um, Let's move to the last comment that we had, which is from Brian J. Henry. I think it's an interesting one and and maybe prompts some discussion before we wrap up here. This is at Brian James Henry says, until we get starting 11 back, we can't hope to compete against top six sides. Any criticism directed at Rafa is dumb. He needs to stay for at least three years and rebuild squads starting with January transfer window. Hope Gray is back soon. Alex, I understand Brian's point, and I, you know, continuity is desperately needed at Everton at the moment. But if I'm being honest with myself, the idea of three more years of Rafa makes me feel pretty apathetic about the state of Everton. And it's not to say that this is his fault. We've discussed the existing problems a ton, but it just doesn't fill me with hope that things are going to get better. Even if we were to, you know, come across a windfall of cash and make signings, it just feels like he's going to carry us until we get a really diabolical run of form and he has to go. It, it doesn't feel like I can't get behind the vision of Rafa as the long-term manager of Everton as it stands currently. And I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think the, 
I think the jury's still out. I don't even know what we consider long-term for an Everton manager anymore. Um, based on the last, whatever, six years. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, I'm not even sure. I will say that, um, I believe some criticism directed at Rafa is fair. Um, I think he gets a lot just because of his name and his former affiliation. Um, but I mean, we've talked about on the show a lot too, like some players we feel are being played out of, out of position compared to where maybe they're most comfortable and most effective. Uh, but I will say, you know, three years, it's, it's quite a long time, you know, pending absolute, you know, dis- just absolute disaster this season. I'd say two is probably fair. Right. But, yeah. um, you know, nonetheless, even with our accounts is looking as bad as they are and, and fi- financial fair play um, at its current status for Everton football club, it's going to be hard to start rebuilding the squad in January, but it's very clear that we need signings and and multiple. Yeah, totally. And, and I think my, my thing with the, with Rafa, just because he may not be the main cause of some of the problems that we have, doesn't mean that he's just immune from criticism. You can say that he was dealt a really poor hand and also say that I don't think he's getting the best out of the options he has available. I think it's, it really is that simple. Like, no, we have no depth and yeah, we're struggling in a lot of areas, but he still makes these weird tactical decisions that I just think if we went in a different direction, you might improve. Not saying that we'd win the game today. I don't think there's any remote possibility that that happens to be honest, but I think we could have given it more of a fight. We could have maybe found a better outlet. We could have had players breaking faster and not hesitating. Um, And it's not all on the manager, but I don't think that, and he shouldn't be the fall guy for the issues at hand, but that doesn't mean that he's been perfect or that he hasn't made any mistakes because I don't think that, 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 I don't think that that's true either. Yeah. Fair enough. So James, let's wrap this up with a man of the match. If there could be one. No. Do we have to? (laughs) Yeah. Would you like to go first? We usually, yeah, I guess. I mean, I think we got to go with Townsend, but, or I'm going Jordan Pickford, actually. Nah. I think I'm going to, I'm going to, I know that's what you were thinking, but <laughs> if I had to pick a best performer for us, I think it's Jordan Pickford. I think he ended up with four saves. His distribution, especially early on, was atrocious, but I think he made some really good judgments coming out to try to stem some of the city's attacks um, and, and made a couple good saves in the process. So, no one gets any kind of credit today, I don't think. But if anyone were to, I would give it to JP. Yeah, no, I have to agree. I mean, Townsend would be probably the only outfield player that we could consider, right? I mean, two key passes, just just to be clear, no one else on the team had any key passes. Um, but at the same time, though, we had barely any possession. We had essentially no goal threat. And Pickford is the di- is the difference between Everton getting embarrassed today and Everton just walking away with a 3-0 defeat at the Etihad. So may no, make no mistake about it. With that context, I have to agree. It's It's got to be Jordan Pickford today. Yeah, I think we're both on the same page there and both uh, feeling a little dejected following this match for sure. But we will hold out hope that things will improve for Everton Football Club in the future because if there is no hope, then what's the point? With that being said, I think that's going to wrap our episode for this match recap, this match review. And with that, we thank you all very much for listening through this, what was likely tough 
match recap to listen to, but we appreciate you anyway. If you enjoyed the show and if you enjoy our content in general, if you could leave us a five-star rating on your podcast platform of choice, and if you feel so inclined to leave us a review as well, that helps us out a ton and is much appreciated. If you want to follow all of our social media channels, join our Discord, all that good stuff, you can find all of the links at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. That's linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. Thanks again for listening. We'll be with you following the Brentford match and maybe even something a little before that. Still have that exciting announcement in the works, which we hope to roll out very soon. Otherwise, until next time, up the toffees. (laughs) 